Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Have you ever been accused of being controlling? Maybe by your husband or your wife, maybe by a teenager. But they look at you and say, I cannot take you controlling and dominating me anymore. If you have, then either you responded by saying, yes, I am controlling, let me do things differently, which, by the way, is not the typical response. Or you've explained, I'm not controlling at all. As a matter of fact, I'm just expressing my opinion. Don't I have a right to tell you what I think? And then sometimes you might be wondering, well, the fact that I'm being accused of being controlling, is this maybe a controlling act on the part of the person making the accusation? In other words, by accusing me of being controlling, then he or she thinks they can get away with something that I'd be in the way of otherwise. But if they can get me just to back off and not open my mouth and not to bring about consequences, then they can get their way. And a way to do that is to manipulate me to do nothing by telling me that I'm controlling. Well, what is the case? Are you controlling? Are you not? Are you being manipulated? Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Beam. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show here on Marriage Radio. In our last episode, we talked about control, but we talked about it from the viewpoint of the person who feels controlled. As a matter of fact, if you've heard that, as we begin this one, there'll be a little bit of similarity, not redundancy, but similarity. And if you want to know how people feel and think when they feel they're being controlled, you might want to go find that program and listen to it. You can find it on marriageradio.com, or you can find it if you go to iTunes or Google Play, either one of those by subscribing free to Marriage Radio, or you can even go to Blog Talk Radio. There are many ways to find it. And while on that program, we, and when I say we, Kimberly Holmes, our CEO of our 501c3 nonprofit, was with me on that program. We talked about it from the perspective of the person who feels control. Now, in this program, I want to address the person who is doing the controlling, or at least being accused of being controlling. How can you tell? How can you tell if you really are controlling, even if you don't think you are, and even if you think your motivation is good. Like, well, yes, sometimes I think I may come across as being controlling, but you must understand my motivation, and my motivation makes this okay. Well, if we're going to talk about that, then the first thing we need to do is to kind of define, or at least describe as best we can, what it means to be controlling. If you look at the work about what motivates people, read all the studies, research done on that, you can basically take motivations and put them into one of two categories. The first one is what used to be called an appetitive motive. (laughs) Nobody can pronounce that or spell it, so they changed it to approach motive. Approach motive basically says, I do this, and my motivation for doing this is that I feel in some way it benefits me. Now, if you say, oh, that means the person wants to do it, well, yes, in a sense. I mean, if I am on a diet because I want to lose weight, then I'm doing it because it benefits me. But it may not be that I want to do it every day, but still my motivation is an approach motive in the sense that this is something that I benefit from. I'm doing it for my sake. I like the fact that some kind of consequence can come from this, which is beneficial to me. The other motivation is what's called an avoidance motivation. An avoidance motivation basically says I'm doing this 
because I want to avoid the negative consequences that will occur if I don't do it. Now, everybody does some of that. The illustration I use all the time is if you're driving down the interstate and you see the state trooper and you instantly slow down to the speed limit, that's an avoidance motive. You did it to avoid the ticket. And it's okay for us to do some things out of avoidance motives. I mean, it just makes sense in this world. Sometimes you have to do that. However, if you find yourself regularly doing things in a relationship for the bonus motive, then things go bad. So, for example, if I do everything my wife wants me to do, at least most of the things my wife wants me to do, think the way she wants me to think, feel the way she wants me to feel, even believe the things she wants me to believe, because if I don't, some negative is going to come my way from her, then that's an avoidance motive. If I think she's going to argue with me until finally I finally just get tired of it and give in, or that she's going to keep on harping on it until I finally have my nerves reach that last nerve and like I can't take anymore, or if she's going to turn the cold shoulder to me and avoid me, not have anything to do with me at all. In other words, some kind of a negative consequence, either by what she does or, in a sense, maybe even what she doesn't do. For example, not paying attention to me at all, turning that cold shoulder, maybe even avoiding sexuality with me until I do think, feel, or believe what she wants me to. If things are done often for an avoidance motive, if I were doing that to make my wife happy, then I begin to have less self-esteem. I begin to think of myself as having less value as a human being because, you see, we all have this thing where we want to do what's called self-determination. And self-determination basically says, I want to be able to make my own decisions about what I do and what I don't do. If you've ever been around children, when they learn first how to walk and to talk, you saw that when they came to what's known commonly as the terrible twos, which evolve into the terrible threes. It's actually their manifesting self-determination. Me, I, I can do that. Don't show me how. I can do it by myself. What they're trying to say is, I want to have my own individual identity. And, of course, with a two- or three-year-old, as a matter of fact, it can be with children even much older than that, we don't always let them do things their way because we can see the dangers that they don't see. We can see negative consequences they're going to bring about that they don't understand. And so it does make sense sometimes when the other person is not capable of making his or her own decisions that some control should be exhibited, for example, like for children. But the older we get, the more mature we become, the less we want somebody else forcing us to do things their way. I don't want to do this because I'm avoiding your negative consequence. I want to do it because I feel some benefit for me. There's a value to me if I do. And typically in relationships where there is a controlling spouse, then the person doing the controlling is actually using a lot of activities that create an avoidance motive for the other person. The kinds of things I've mentioned already, for example, I'll keep arguing until finally you give in. And I think, I think that you gave in because you finally saw the brilliance of the way I understand these things, when in, often, in actuality, often it's just the opposite. The other person didn't see the brilliance of your logic. You didn't convince them. They just gave in because they didn't want to argue anymore because of like, I, I, I just want to stop this. I want to end this. Yeah, you're right. I agree with you when in actuality they're not agreeing at all. And if they wind up doing the things you want them to do or saying that they feel the things you want them to feel, even if they don't, or saying that they believe the things you're trying to get them to believe, even though they really don't, they wind up resenting you. Not only does it negatively affect their own self-esteem, it affects the way they think about you. And they begin to see you as this 
dictator, this person trying to make things happen. And it works out badly because then they feel bad about their relationship as well. And after a while, if indeed you've been controlling and dominating like that, after a while, most people finally reach the point where they say, I can't live like that anymore. And if somebody else comes along that pays attention to them and gives them, you know, affirmation and treats them as an equal, as opposed to what they feel is that you're treating them as an inferior, then they may wind up having an affair with that person. Even if not sexual or physical, it might be emotional because it's like, I'm so happy to finally have someone in my life who understands me and gives me value and worth. I don't always agree with him or her. She or he doesn't always agree with me. But we treat each other with equality, and neither one of us has to be the one making the final decisions. Neither one of us has to be the one who is in charge. And so in marriages, for example, where one spouse really is controlling or dominating, often the other person will describe it something like this. He treats me like a child, or she thinks she's my mom. And people typically take that only for so long, and they finally reach a point where it's like, I will not live like that anymore. Now, I said earlier that it could be that a person accuses you of being controlling, when in actuality what's happening is that they're actually trying to manipulate you to get their way. I'll get back to that a little later. But right now, let's talk about the fact that should you examine yourself and say, wait a minute here, maybe maybe I really am controlling. By the way, let me go ahead and give you a resource now. It's absolutely free. If you would like to take a profile, and you do it on your own home, we don't see it. It's not done online. When you sign up for it, we actually email it to you, so you have it, not us. <laughs> Therefore, don't think, okay, I can't be honest with us because you guys are going to see. It's just for you. It's for you to do your own self-evaluation. If you'd like to have that free ebook that talks about control and at the same time gives you 30 different questions for you to use to evaluate whether or not you might be controlling, here's how you can get that absolutely free. It's at your, that's Y-O-U-R, your dot marriage helper, that's like marriage help E-R, marriagehelper.com slash control. And the word control would be with a capital C. So your dot marriagehelper.com slash control with a capital C. And it'll take you to a page where you can give us your email. And we'll email that to you so that you can actually take a little evaluation to see if indeed you're controlling. And if you are, I hope that you have the honesty to admit that you are. Now, if you're controlling, sometimes it can be a value for you to try to understand, well, why do I do that? It may be because of some events from your childhood. For example, if you grew up in a home with an alcoholic father or mother or both, which tend to be homes that are very secretive, and a lot of control takes place in homes like that. It may be that you grew up wanting to control things around you because you don't want to hurt anymore. Or it may be that you had a very controlling parent, and whether you intended to or not, you wind up emulating him or her. I mean, a parent who kept you under his or her thumb, who controlled everybody else in the family as much as all, as all possible, and even though you might have been grown up, been growing up thinking, I will never be like that, I can't stand that. That's horrendous. It might be that you actually have replicated it. Even though you didn't think you ever would, even though you thought you never should, it could be that you're doing that. Or it could be that you feel out of control in 
every other area of your life. You can't control what's happening at work. You can't control what's happening with the economy. And so if you have investments, for example, in the stock market, you can't control what's happening there because things tend to go bad. You can't control who becomes president or doesn't become president. You can't control so many things in your life. And some people wind up trying to be very controlling in their home relationship because they feel like they've got no control anyplace else. It's like everything in my world, I'm the puppet and somebody else has the strings. Well, by golly, there's a place in my world where I can exert my authority and my power. I mean, there could be all kinds of reasons leading you to do it, but it still doesn't make it okay. Now, again, control over a two-year-old makes a lot of sense. But even then, you have to give the child some freedom, some ability to develop his or her identity, some ability to make their own decisions when appropriate as to the age and situation, because that's how they learn how to interact with the world. But in the kind of control we're talking about now, these are people who typically try to control their husbands or their wives or their children who are up in years and dominate control in every kind of way because they feel so out of control. And so often, the primary motivation behind control is... Fear. Fear that you're going to leave me. Fear that you're going to hurt me. Fear that you're going to make a decision that's going to embarrass me. Fear that somehow you'll do something where you wind up getting hurt. For example, a woman who was living with her elderly mother said, if I try to take the dog out in the evening for a walk, my dominating, controlling mother would scream and yell at me, because she was so afraid that if I went out into the dark, somebody was going to accost me. I was going to be abducted or raped or some terrible, evil thing. And so even though I lived in a nice neighborhood and just wanted to go out and walk the dog, if it was dark, even though I was a grown woman with my own children, my mother who was living with me would throw a fit because she needed to control what's happening. Now, her control was then out of fear. Fear for herself and fear for her child. But you understand that that doesn't make it okay. Because even if you were to say to yourself, well, I need to understand that my mom's doing that because she's afraid, it doesn't make it any less oppressive. You might be able to put up with it for a while, for example, but there finally comes a time when you say, I can't live like that anymore. I can't be dominated. I can't be treated like a child. And so even if your motivation is fear, and even if that fear might be legitimate in some ways, it still won't make it okay to control the other person. See, what you must understand is it's not what's driving you that affects the other person is what you do to them. And if you were to say to them, I'm doing this because it's all for your own good, if they don't see it that way, they're going to react negatively to it. And if you say, I'm doing this because I'm trying to help you, if they don't see it that way, it's going to want to have negative effects. And you can claim all day long, I did it for your welfare. But if the way they're hearing it, the way they're reacting to it is that, no, 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 what you're trying to do is to control and dominate me, not give me the ability to make my own decisions, not give me the ability to live my own life, then it really matters none as to what your motivation might be. And believe it or not, some people control not out of fear, but because of just sheer arrogance. I'm smarter than you. I know better than you do. So therefore, you need to do things my way because I'm the smartest guy in the house or the, smart, or the smartest woman in the house, as the case may be. And so you really do think that your way is best. You really do think the other person should do whatever you say because of the fact that you're the brain or you have the wisdom or you have the experience. But I'm telling you again, if it comes across in a way that they wind up doing it because of an avoidance motive, they want to avoid you continuing on and on and on about how you're right 
or any other negative consequence you might bring about, then then your arrogance is not going to help. As a matter of fact, it can alienate everybody else around there from you. Or even your own rigidity. We had a couple in our workshop, for example, where that he was trying to dominate her in amazing ways, and he kept quoting scripture. He says, according to my religion, the woman has to submit to her husband. I'm not here trying to tell you what to believe or not believe about your religion. This program is not about religion. I am a Christian. I do have a bachelor's degree in Bible. We could talk religion if you want. But I'm trying to say here that he was justifying his domination of her by saying, well, she's supposed to submit to everything I do. And so the rigidity that he had was based on his religion. The difficulty was that although she too was a Christian, she consulted many pastors. Is the way he's doing it the way it's supposed to be done? I mean, is this what God says, that I have to obey this man as if he has all the answers and I have none? That I have no equality with him at all, that he's like the master and I'm like the servant? And all the pastors they talked to, including the ones that he talked to, said, no, we believe he's misinterpreting it. But... He wouldn't back off. He wouldn't stop, not one iota, because of the rigidity of what he was doing. And so maybe, maybe just maybe you should stop and ask yourself, why am I controlling my wife or my teenagers or the other people in my world to the point where they feel that they want to get away from me because they feel I'm so dominating? You say, well, it's just my personality, just who I am, and you can stay with that if you wish. But I can also make a prediction about your future based on that kind of personality and being just as I am that way. You will at some point be alone because the people in your world won't be around you any longer because they don't want to be dominated and controlled. If you're thinking, well, there's somebody out there who wants to be dominated and controlled, and therefore if my wife leaves me, if my husband divorces me, if my children have nothing to do with me, I can find somebody somewhere that will just kowtow to everything I want. You're right. There's a possibility that you may, but notice that it's a slender possibility. In other words, it's not very likely at all. And if you do find a person like that, it's not going to be because he or she is emotionally healthy. If they truly want you to dominate and control, make all their decisions, then there's some emotional problems going on there. See, there's nothing good about controlling another person. Now, if you're thinking, but wait a minute, Joe, there surely are exceptions to that. Yeah, yeah, there are. If I see my daughter is about to walk into uh, a place where a rattlesnake is cold and ready to strike, my grabbing her and stopping her, which is in essence control, may have a lot of sense in that situation. As a matter of fact, it would have a lot of sense in that situation. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the occasional situation where somehow you just have to do something because it has to be done. We're saying that you really are trying to tell the other person how to think and how to feel and what to do. And you're controlling where they go and who they see. You're controlling how they spend the money. Oh, and by the way, if you get that ebook that I just recommended to you, remember you can get it for free by going to your, Y-O-U-R dot marriage helper. That's like marriage helper, marriagehelper.com slash control with a capital C on the word control. You can get that book, that free ebook. And if you're honest with yourself as you evaluate those 30 questions there, you'll see whether you're controlling or not by the things that you do. And if you are, and if you choose not to change, then I don't know how to help you with your relationships. Because if you're in a relationship with an unhealthy emotional person, he or she may stay in it for years. But it's not 
to their benefit or yours. And if they are not in that situation of being unhealthy, or they have been for a while because they let you dominate them, but now they finally said, that's it, that's enough, I can't do this anymore, I can't live like this, then either you're going to have to change what you're doing, or you are going to lose this relationship, no matter how desperately you tell them that they shouldn't go. You see, nobody wants to be a slave. Nobody wants to be nominated to control. We all really want to make our own decisions in life. Now, if I'm saying then that the other person should have free license to do everything and that that has no effect on your relationship, that's not what I'm saying at all. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. What I'm saying right now is that you cannot justify, well, you can in your own mind, but it won't work. You cannot logically justify controlling by thinking, well, I know best. Or I've got to keep them from hurting themselves, got to keep them from hurting me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because if the effect on the other person is that they are operating mostly out of an avoidance motive when it comes to you, trying to avoid the negatives from you, your bitterness, your rage, your arguing, your condensation, your whatever it might be. Actually, I should have said condescension, shouldn't I, instead of condensation, which has to do with, uh, never mind. You understand what I'm saying here, do you not? He said, well, how do I change? What do I do? Well, let's just stop, and before we answer that question, answer one other that I brought up earlier. You may still be thinking, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said earlier that it might be that sometimes the other person is accusing me of being controlling when in actuality all they're wanting is freedom to do something that's harmful to our relationship. Like, for example, let's say, I'll give you situations, I see them all the time. Let's say there's a husband who goes out a lot at night. His wife has no idea where he goes. He spends a lot of money, comes in the lake. She can smell the liquor on his breath or whatever. And so she says to him, I, I can't live in a situation where you're doing that because I don't know where you are, what you're doing. I don't know if you're going out there driving drunk. I don't know if you're going to wind up being killed in a car wreck. I mean, I can't live in instability like this, and so I, I need you to do something to control your drinking. And if he would reply to her, hey, wait a minute, you're just being controlling and dominating. You just got to let me be me. In that situation, is it a manipulation that he's accusing her of being controlling? Now, let's look at this because there's a fine line here. And rather than being a science, this is going to be more of an art. So hear me well. Is it possible that the reason he's out drinking and carousing every night doing all those kinds of things is because he's rebelling against the fact that she was already controlling and dominating him? Yeah, that's a possibility. And therefore, if she tries to stop him from going out and carousing and drinking, is he going to see that as more control? Yes, that's a possibility. In that case, she really should examine herself and think, how many things in life, not just this drinking thing that's going on right now, but how many things in life do I really use and avoid his motivation against him to get him to do what I want him to do? I mean that he'll yield to me because he doesn't want to hear me gripe and complain for the next two hours, or he'll yield to me because he doesn't want me to embarrass him in front of his friends, which I'll do if I'm unhappy with him, or he winds up yielding to me because of the fact that he doesn't like the fact that I'm going to give him a cold shoulder, or he doesn't yield to me because he knows I'm going to say nasty things about him to our children, or he's going to yield to me because of the fact that he knows if he doesn't do, say, think, feel, believe what I tell him to, that he won't get sex from me. So take that drinking thing out of the picture for a while and look at yourself and say, have I really been doing those things? And if so, then yes, you have been controlling, and that could potentially be a factor in the fact that he's drinking and rebelling now. It doesn't justify 
his drinking or rebelling now, but it might be a factor that led to that occurrence. In which case, you really should look at yourself and go, man, I need to identify the areas where I'm controlling and I need to stop doing that. But even then, you still may have to take a stand when it comes to his going out and drinking half the night, spending lots of money where you wind up in financial difficulties and drives home drunk and could possibly kill himself or someone else, then you still may have to take a stand by saying, you know, okay, I admit that I have been controlling. You know, I've been thinking about this, and I see how that I have used my anger or my arguing or my harping, my complaining, my griping, my withholding sex, my embarrassing you in front of other people, my saying negative things about you in front of our children. I see. I see that I really had been controlling, and for that, I'm sorry, and I will do my best to overcome that. Understand that I've done it so long that sometimes I may do it out of habit, but here's the deal I make with you. Whenever I am doing that, you just mention it, and I will back off. I'll say, okay, you're right. It doesn't help at all if I get you to do things because you're doing them for an avoidance motive. So I'll back off on those things. But if he and the story that I'm telling, this illustration that I'm telling, is doing things destructive to himself or potentially harmful to others. Is it the right thing that in that area that you do set up some boundaries, you do set up some criteria, which he will inevitably see as control? Yes. Now, if you're following what I'm saying here, you stop controlling or dominating the other person when it comes to everyday life. But even in those situations, sometimes you have to make a decision that in this particular specific thing, It's so important, it is so crucial, that even if I get accused of being controlling, I'm going to have to do what I believe is the right thing here. Now, if you go to Marriage Radio or iTunes and look for Marriage Radio, Google Play, look for Marriage Radio, Blog Talk (laughs) Radio, and then look for Marriage Radio, I suggest that you look for a program I did that's a little over an hour that talks about the... um, what boundaries are. It's called the Definitive Guide to Boundaries. I think that's the title. You can find it with that, the Definitive Guide to Boundaries. And in that program, I talked about how to set boundaries and how to bring about consequences if boundaries are violated. I'll also talk about how to set criteria. The short version is that a boundary is this is something that has to not occur. And if it occurs, then here's a negative consequence that's going to happen. In other words, here's a boundary. You can't cross the boundary. If you do cross the boundary, here's the consequence. A criteria is on the opposite side of that, where the criteria is this is what has to happen. This is what needs to occur. If it does occur, here's the reward that comes. If it doesn't occur, here's the negative consequence that comes. By the way, I'll just say this right now before you go listen to that program, that you want to make as few boundaries and as few criteria as possible. Because if you make a lot of them, or even many of them, then the other person is going to wind up thinking, there's no way I can do all these things. So you make as few as you possibly can. But if in the story that I'm telling, in this illustration, if the husband goes off drinking, comes home drunk, he's wasting the money, they're getting into financial difficulty, he's driving drunk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then setting a boundary makes sense. And if indeed he's drinking like that, there might even be a criteria. The criteria is that you will go to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're going to attend at least... X number of sessions. As a matter of fact, I'm happy to go with you if you want me to, or you can go alone, but you're going to have to fulfill that criteria. And if the person looks at you and says, I am tired, I am sick and tired of you being so controlling and dominating my life, I think the proper response would be, you're right. 
I did. And I'm sure it's a contributor to where we are now. To forgive me for how controlling I've been. I'm also asking you for your help when you feel that I'm being controlling. Please tell me. Well, I'm telling you now. You're controlling me by setting this. No, no. I'm talking about control when it comes to everyday life. I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want to dominate you. My habits may take a while for me to get past this, but I don't want to do that. But even as I change, as I change in those ways for the betterment of our relationship so that we can exist as equals, not as one being mom or dad and the other one being the child, where we can exist as equals, I still have to set this one criteria. You can't continue to do this. Now, you understand that that was just one illustration, and I could give many more. People have asked me things like, you know, my, my wife still wants to go out at night, and I know she's going to be with her lover. And she says, if I try to stop her from doing that, I'm being controlling and dominating, and that's why she wants to leave me to begin with. And so I don't know what to do because, you know, I can see how I have been controlling and dominating, and I can see how that she could be so hurt from that that when somebody came along that gave her the attention and affirmation she needed that she reacted positively to it, and that's how she got involved with this guy. And so when I try to set a boundary by saying you, you can't keep living here, and going out and seeing him, and she says, you see, you see, that's the reason that I'm involved with him to begin with. That's the reason I'm no longer in love with you. I am sick and tired of your control. Does that mean I just let her go? Do whatever she wants to do while still living here in the house with me? Obviously, it is your decision. You have to make up your mind as to whether you're going to accept that or not. Sometimes people do accept it if if in the situation I'm describing this illustration, if she were to also be open to getting help, if she were having conversations with her husband that were not angry and bitter, in other words, they were really communicating with each other and some kind of progress were being made, and in combination with all that, he had the emotional strength to be able to hold it together when she's going out and he's pretty well, she's seeing this other guy. I'm pretty well sure she's seeing this other guy. If he can tolerate that for a while, then maybe he doesn't set a boundary or create a criteria for a while because he thinks, well, at least we're making progress. But even that shouldn't happen if she's just going out to see him and there are no conversations with you. Or if it's destroying you emotionally where you can't live with this, it's just killing you. The stress is hitting you alive, and, and you lie awake half the night with your mind trembling and turning. Notice that I said earlier this is not a science, it's an art. Therefore, I can't give you the exact point where you do this or do that. I'm trying to teach a principle here, and I hope that you're learning the principle, and sometimes you do not enforce boundaries for a while because you think, okay, we're making some progress and I'm going to let this go for a while. But you've got to make sure that you can emotionally and mentally and spiritually handle that if you do it. But then sometimes even though maybe your control was what helped create the situation that exists, even after you admit that, after you point out, I'm doing my best to change and I'll be glad to listen to you as you point out to me when I do these controlling things, and that'll apply to nearly everything in life, but it can't apply to this specific situation because I can't live with this. So even though I'm trying to become a less controlling person, a less dominant person, I can't handle you 
still drinking at night or I can't handle the fact that you're going out. I don't know where you are, what you do. You come back at 2 o'clock in the morning. I see you throwing this very sexy erotic lingerie into the laundry. I know that's what you're wearing when you go out. I can't deal with that. And so I am sorry if this appears to be control and domination. And I admit what I have done before. But you understand in this particular issue, this particular situation, I will have to draw that line. I'm going to have to create a boundary. And I hate that it feels like control. But there's just certain things that cannot occur. So therefore, I hope I've made it at least clearer, if not absolutely clear, that if the other person is accusing you of being controlling, it doesn't always mean that you need to back off. And, and, and both those illustrations I just gave, in those situations, it appears to me, appears to me that, that the other person is actually manipulating you by calling you controlling. In other words, getting you to back off so he or she can do whatever they want to without you having interference with that. Now, again, I admit, it's an art, not a science. So if you wind up calling me saying, Joe, tell me exactly what to do in this situation or exactly to do in that situation, the response I'm going to be giving you is, I don't know your husband. I don't know your wife. I can't tell you where to draw that exact line. You know the situation, and I don't. Do what you believe is the best thing to do. And if you're thinking, but what if that doesn't work? What if it winds up backfiring? I think if it were I, and if things are going to fall apart, at least for me, I'd rather be feeling at least I was doing what I believed to be the right thing when it fell apart, as opposed to, well, I did nothing and it fell apart. No, that's just the way I look at it. You decide for yourself how you're going to be doing it for you. Now, let's go back to this other thing we started with a little while ago, which is this. If, if indeed, you go to that booklet that I'm offering to you for free, that when you can get at your.marriagehelper.com slash control, control with a capital C, if indeed you go to that, you go through those 30 questions and you come to the realization, oh my goodness, I really am a controlling person. As I said, the first thing you would do, in my opinion, is to try to figure out why. You say, well, why should I figure out why? Well, you may not actually ever figure out why. But the reason to try to figure out why is because sometimes when I know why I do what I do, I have much better ability to control it. I'm talking about now not controlling the other person, controlling me. And so if I know, okay, I'm operating primarily out of fear, and that's why I'm controlling. Okay, if I understand that now, I can start dealing with my fear. I can start thinking about things more logically rather than letting my emotions control me. Or if I come to realize, you know what, I really am arrogant. I really do think I'm the smartest guy or gal in the room. Then maybe you need to face that. Maybe even find some professional help that will help you get past that. Or if you come to the realization, well, Joe, I, I have to be rigid with those things I believe in value. Hey, I understand living by your beliefs and values. I'm all for people living by beliefs and values. But if at the same time your beliefs and values is causing someone that you love to try their best to get away from you, then at least examine whether you have those beliefs and values in the right way. I mean, for example, I said earlier, this guy who cited scripture to tell his wife she had to obey and submit and everything, she was a great business person. He was a terrible business person. I mean, I think he'd bankrupted two or three companies. 
And he was telling her that, that she had to submit even to the point where he told her what to do about her business, where she was successful, and she was terrified because she knew how bad a businessman he was. And he was telling her that if she would obey God and do what's right, she'd have to submit to him in everything. And he would quote from passages in the Bible. But did you notice that in that story I told about that earlier, they went to see not just one pastor, but a few saying, can you help us understand what these verses actually mean? In other words, for him, is my rigidity correct? Or am I misinterpreting something here? For example, if he were using the passage out of Ephesians 5, which, by the way, this was a real couple, and he really did, where wives submit to your husbands, the, st the start of that whole section says in verse 21, submit one to another. And then as it explains about wives submitting to husbands, if you're a Christian, it actually, if you read that section carefully, it's about how they each submit to the other. It talks about children and parents later, but it also talks about how they, in a sense, submit to each other as well. That yes, the parent has authority, and I can tell my kid what to do, I'm the dad, but he went ahead to go ahead and write there that the parent should not exasperate the child. In other words, you can't do this in such a way that causes your child to resent you and move away from you because of your hardness and your harshness, your lack of understanding, your lack of, lack of compassion, your lack of love. And so maybe that's the passage he should have been looking at in that particular section of Scripture about don't exasperate the other person. I'm not your dictator. I'm your spouse. And we should live in a marriage where we treat each other with respect. So examine. If I'm doing it because of the fact that I'm afraid, if I'm doing it because I'm arrogant, if I'm doing it because of my rigidity, maybe I should get some unbiased help that can guide me through looking at things a little differently than I have before. And maybe I'll come to the realization that, you know, I'm not doing this the way it's supposed to be done. Last thing about the religion, and I really don't want to talk religion, not in this show, that's not what it's about. But even God, who has all authority when it comes to, you know, people who believe that God exists, God has all authority. Even then, he gives all of us the right and the privilege of making our own choices. He tells us what he expects us to do, what he wants us to do, but then he leaves it up to us to make the decision as to whether we do it or not. You say, yes, but he brings about consequences if we don't. Actually, most of the negative consequences we'll bring about <laughs> ourselves because the things we do have negative consequences built into them. I don't know how you could blame God for that. If I drink and drink and drink and drink and finally I have a wreck and kill somebody because I'm drunk, I don't know how I can blame that consequence on God. Hey, what'd you do? I killed this person. It's your fault. No, that would be my fault for all the drinking. So God gives us the choice. There are negative consequences that we reap in life. There's no doubt about that, but God gives us the choice. Now, once you figure out your motivation, why am I controlling? Then what do you do? My suggestion is that you admit to the people that you've been controlling that you have been. I mean, sit down together with them, look them in the eye. If it's your entire family, like your wife and your teenage kids, or if it's your husband and your teenage kids, it could even be kids younger than that, but you understand I'm, I'm not trying to get into the nuances now of how much control for a six-year-old as opposed to a 16-year-old. Again, not the purpose of this program. But if you've been controlling and dominating people, then you sit down with them, and it could be in a group. It could be one-on-one. -on -one. It's just whatever you think is best. Again, this is more of an art than a science. And you look them in the eyes, or I, and you say, I have become aware that 
I have been controlling. I have become aware of the fact that many of the things that you do in relationship with me, it's not because of the fact that you feel it'll benefit you in some fashion. You do it because you're trying to avoid some negative consequence that you think I'm going to bring about. And then you might even list some of the negative consequences that you've done. Now, don't go into great detail. As a matter of fact, this entire conversation should be really, relatively short at the outset. You're not going to give illustration after illustration after illustration of all the things you've done wrong because that's actually going to wind up backfiring against you. But you can say, for example, I know that sometimes I argue and argue until you finally give in because I think then that you've seen my point and I've come to realize that you just give in because you don't want to argue anymore. Boom, that's what I've said. Don't need any more illustrations or explanation of that. I've become aware of the fact that sometimes I raise my voice or I use my size to intimidate you. Or I realize that sometimes I use my control of the money to get you to do what I want you to do. Don't go into great detail. Just enough to let them know, hey, he really does get this. Or she really does understand this. Again, if you go too long, it just kind of comes becomes a self-pity party. Or even a place where they'll, after a while, begin to think, well, what you're wanting us to do is to tell you that wasn't so bad. So you don't drag it out so that it has unintended consequences. You, you state it relatively succinctly, but enough, enough that the person or persons can tell that you get it, that you finally get it. Then, again, without beating yourself up, because if you do, it changes the whole tenor of this thing. It becomes a different meeting altogether, and they'll walk away from it not feeling good about it. But in this meeting, after doing that succinctly, but clearly enough to make it plain that you really know what you've done, then, then you look them in the eye, or eyes, based on how many there are, and you say, I'm sorry. I truly am sorry because I can see how it affected you and I can see how it affected our relationship. That's it. Don't beat yourself up. I'm scum. I'm evil. I'm wicked. I'm weak. None of that's going to help because then it becomes all about you as opposed to trying to actually develop the right kind of relationship with them. Then tell them what you plan to do. I don't want to do that anymore. Oh, by the way, do not insert a lot of excuses here. Well, you know, the reason I did that was because my dad was an alcoholic. Or, you know, the reason that I do this because I just worry about you guys and want for your safety. Any excuses you start giving, any explanations like that, at this point will just sound like you're saying, yeah, well, what I did was not so bad, and you really should be okay with it. Don't do that. Do not do that. Don't give excuses. Don't give explanations. Just tell them what you said, and then... As I said, start telling him about how you plan to be from now on. I don't want to do that anymore, but I'm going to need your help because I've done it for so long. Sometimes I might just gravitate toward that behavior, so here's what I ask. Whenever I do something and you respond by thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm going to reach some negative consequence if I don't do what my dad or my mom, whoever you are, what do you want me to do, would you please tell me that? You know what this feels like, Dad? Hey, Mom, can I tell you what it feels like? Do that, and I will listen. Now, I might ask questions, but I promise the questions I ask will not be to challenge you or to correct you or to make you feel badly about what you just said to me. The questions I'll ask will simply be to help me learn. Okay, help me learn how I just did that. I need to hear. I want to hear. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to fuss. I'm not going to treat you badly if you tell me the truth. And then allow me, if you will, to ask those kind of questions 
and I promise you that I will learn how to control this in me so that no longer do you feel controlled by me. Then be quiet. You understand, I, I drug it out because I gave a lot more explanation to it, but that whole conversation from you at this point, the initial part here, once you're all settled, once you're all serious and looking at each other, everybody's paying attention, I mean, this is like two, three, four minutes tops. As a matter of fact, four minutes is probably going way too long. Try to get it back to the two or three minute range if you can. And then you'll be quiet. Oh, there's one last thing you might do. <laughs> I can't believe I let this one out. This is pretty crucial. You could say, and if you will, please forgive me for what I've done in the past. And leave it at that. Don't then start staring each one in the eyes like, okay, I'm waiting for you to say I forgive you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't put any kind of pressure on them whatsoever at all. Just tell them I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. Then be quiet and don't look at them. Don't stare at them. Just pause a second or two and say, I'm, I'm very open to hearing anything you'd like to say right now. They may say nothing. And if you go two, three, four minutes, nobody says anything, thank them for coming. Reassure them again you're going to try your best to fix this and that they'll start seeing their effects right away. If, on the other hand, they start talking to you, sometimes it might be that they actually tell you out loud they forgive you. If they do, thank them. Gently, humbly, thank them. If they say, well, yeah, I want to make sure you really get this. Do you know that when you did such and such, when you did this, when you did that, it really hurt me? If they start into that, which is a possibility, not a likelihood, but a possibility, well, it could be likely based on what kind of experience you've had with each other before. But if they start doing that, listen. Don't defend yourself. Don't explain. Just listen. And if you say anything, you say something like, can I ask a question to help me understand more? I'm not challenging it. I'm really trying to learn. And if you ask a question, ask a question for that purpose and that purpose only, to help you understand more of what they're saying, what they're talking about, so that you really grasp it. And then you may, if you want to, say something such as, I get it. I can see that. I'm sorry. And that's it. You do it gently. You do it humbly. You don't beat yourself up. You don't worry along things. And if at any point they do ask you for an explanation, and sometimes people do, like, okay, but why do you do that? Then you can give the answer because now it won't sound like you're trying to justify yourself. You can actually say something like, Okay, you know, I grew up in a home where I had no control at all, and I know it's bad, and it doesn't justify anything I've done, but that's, that's why I tend to be controlling now. Don't elaborate to a great extent unless they ask you, can you help us understand that more? Can you tell us something about how it was when you were growing up? And if so, tell them a story. Tell them a story about when you were growing up, a time when you felt totally out of control. Let yourself see the events as you explain them. Let yourself feel what you felt at the time. That means that as you see it in your mind, they are much more likely to see it in theirs. It won't be exactly what you see, of course, because they weren't there. But to give them a better understanding of who you are and why you feel like you do. And so when they ask for explanations, it's always better to give a story. A story, not a drawn-out long story, but a story that's, you know, Got enough detail in it, they can picture what happens. Well, you know, I remember the time when my dad was beating my mom up. And I was thinking, I need to call the cops. I need to call the cops because he might kill her. And then thinking, but if I do, he's never going to speak to me again. And you go on and tell a story like that. Or let's say it's something else. Let's say it's mostly fear. 
why is it that you don't let me take the dog out after dark to walk in the neighborhood? The neighborhood's safe. Okay, you ask me why. It's because I'm afraid. Can I tell you where my fear, can I give you a story of my life of how these fears came about? And you tell them a story about sometime in your life when you really felt afraid and, and how you reacted against that and why you're so scared. But don't go into great, great detail. This is a conversation where we try to understand each other. And remember, you don't give any of these explanations unless they ask for them. Or if in some other fashion, you just know that's what needs to happen next. The reason you're careful about not offering these explanations is because it will sound like an excuse. It'll sound like you're trying to justify what you did. That's not good. Therefore, only do these kind of explanations if they ask for it or set it up in such a way where it just seems the next most logical thing to talk about. Then, finally, live it. I'm serious. Make sure that you're no longer controlling. As a matter of fact, every once in a while, you'll catch yourself probably, and you can actually stop and say, I just heard how that sounded, and it sounds so controlling. I'm sorry. And then go on with your life. But make sure that if they bring up the fact that you're controlling, you listen without being defensive. You hear and you try to fix things. Make sure that when you catch yourselves being controlling, that you note it, you stop it, you do things differently, and that you are concentrating on not ever motivating again, if at all possible, the people that you love through avoidance motivation. In other words, they're going to do it because they're trying to avoid some negative consequence. Try your best that when you ask them to do things, think things, feel things, believe things, whatever, you do it from an approach motive as best you can. In other words, why is it important to them? What value will they get? And don't try to manipulate them by saying, okay, you need to do this for the following 10 reasons. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying try to understand that, that they want to feel accepted, that they want to feel loved that they want to feel accepted just as they are without having to meet any criteria to earn your love or your favor or your affirmation. And so when you catch yourself or they point out to you they're doing something that's creating an avoidance motive with them, stop it. You say, but I won't always get my way. Hey, that's life. None of us will always get his or her way. Well, sometimes I think maybe I might wind up being the person being hurt. Hmm, very possible. Very possible. But you know, that too needs to be kind of balanced out in life. Not that I'm going to do everything to make sure I'm not the one being hurt. But okay, sometimes sometimes things are not going to happen the way that I think they should, and I'm going to feel some pain. But you do that because it's what's called egalitarian. It means equals. I'm not the dominant person. We're in this thing together. And sometimes things don't go my way. Sometimes they do, but the one thing that everybody in my world who's important to me is going to know is I'm fair. I'm no longer controlling. Now, if you're listening thinking, oh, great, I'd love to do all these things, but I don't think I've got a chance. I mean, my spouse has left me, and he or she is involved with somebody else, or he or she has cut off all contact with me and wants nothing to do with me ever again. So how do I demonstrate this? I understand why you would ask that question. I really do. You can't demonstrate it by controlling them. <laughs> that won't work. And often people wind up doing things like that. Like, I, I'm going to create situations where that she has to be around me. She can see how I've changed. 
be careful that you don't set up those situations where she feels she's manipulated or controlled. The best thing you can do is to live the life where you treat everybody the way you should and you're not controlling and dominating. If you have any opportunity to be around your spouse in any shape, fashion, or form, even in dealing with your children, then if you live that consistently, eventually he or she, will see, he or she should see it. By the way, if you do it that way with the kids, at some point they're going to notice it too, and they're going to mention it. If you have children, they're going to mention it to your spouse. Hey, dad's different now. Or mom's not like she used to be. So you make it a lifestyle. You do the best you can. And while I know you wish you had some way to completely and immediately demonstrate it to your spouse so they could say, oh my goodness, you're a different person. Praise God, let's get back together. I know that's what you want. But at this point, it's patience. Because if you're not patient, you're very likely to wind up doing a situation that's going to be viewed as controlling by the other person. So live it. Live it consistently with everybody you possibly can. Be that person. It's not an act. It's not a pretension. It's you. You becoming a new person, a better person than you were. And hopefully, hopefully, that will eventually come across to your spouse and he or she will see you as that different person and you can reconcile things. If, if she never comes back, if he never comes back, my heart breaks for you. But this is still the best thing to do because... And whatever relationships come next, well, including the ones that already exist, for example, if you have children, or if you have friends or family, or whatever situation comes next, whatever relationship comes next, if this one doesn't work out, and I surely hope that it does, that's what we are in the business for. We try to help people solve their problems and salvage their marriages and make them good. That's why our whole nonprofit exists. But if, if that doesn't happen, by becoming this better person, this less controlling person, this more accepting and understanding person, then when that next relationship finally develops, and I know we're not trying to get you into the next relationship, I'm just telling you that if it doesn't work in this one, it can still have powerful impact in the next one. Now, don't give up yet. <laughs> don't give up. Stop being controlling. Stop justifying it. Figure out why you do it if you do. Get the help you need if you help it and become that accepting, loving, kind person. It really will help. And one more time, that ebook. if you go to your, Y-O-U-R dot marriage helper, that's marriagehelper.com slash control, and that's with a capital C, you give us your email address and we'll send that to you. If we can help you, we'd love to. We're here for you. Until our next program, this is Dr. Joe Beam saying good evening. <laughs>